And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, Dancer, just sitting back here, getting ready to podcast, enjoying a big bowl of chicken soup. Isn't that what he called the Ottawa Senators? Yeah, they were good for what ails the Canucks. They were, you know, the the, the good chicken noodle soup with noodles, not with rice. Um, big, big chunks, big chunks of chicken, solid bone broth. Uh, very accommodating, easy to slurp down, and, and felt warm in your tummy, right? Like, it felt warm. It was like, mm, yeah, no, uh, you know what? You know what? I'm no longer sick. Like, I'm feeling good. This was a good day from home watching The prices Right. Let's go. Uh, the Senators were bad. Like, they were bad. They really did not play well. Uh, and they still were generating so much against the Canucks, which, which has to remain, you know, a big concern. Like, if you give the puck away, you struggle to break it out to the extent that the Canucks did this week, despite tremendous goaltending, excellent special teams, great finishing. From, especially from their top line. The Canucks had all of that going. A, a lot of 2019-20 Canucks swagger was on display at Rogers Arena in the back half of this homestand. And yet, it's just Ottawa. Like, we have to get that out of our system. It's just Ottawa. And boy, did they play down to what we all expected of them this season, this week. Right. So the Canucks win 16-3 on aggregate. They get three straight victories. The lotto line... Uh, shows up, hits the scoreboard, they all get, or the score sheet, they all get involved, uh, and all it does is get the Canucks back to 500. Like, they're 5-5 five and five right. now, right? It, it yep. When you think, we're recording this on a Friday morning, you think of where we were on Monday after the Montreal series, and three wins that they had to have, they got them, uh, it helped their goal differential, certainly, but really, in the big picture, all it does is get them back to 500, and I've made this point a few times throughout the week, and I think it's a pretty simple concept, but 500 hockey at the end of the year is not going to get it done. So the Canucks no. now have burned 10 games 
and probably have to be seven or eight games over 500 from this point forward. And just keep that in mind. I'm not saying they can't do it, but really all these three wins did was allow them to exhale, to hit the reset button, and then head out on the road trip on this beast of a six-game trip now, where, again, we'll get more answers about what this hockey club is. But I think you have to feel better, and they have to feel better about themselves, uh, full of chicken soup, uh, going out on the road trip now with key guys <laughs> that are feeling it. And to see Brock yeah. Besser continue to pump goals the way that he has, uh, not hearing much about the wrist anymore because I don't think the wrist is any kind of issue, uh, that, nope. you know, there's some real zip on that shot. And that's great. Like, that's, that's a good thing for him. Miller's got a couple of goals now. Uh, EP40 has found the score sheet, has found the back of the net. Uh, has found the crossbar in the post a bunch too, and I keep that in, like that's, that's important to keep in mind. Like it is when people were dumping on him for his point total. Like he's been that close, leads the league in posts and crossbars. Like he could probably have double the point total with a little bit more finishing luck. Yeah, I mean he'd have two more goals on the season if he was playing po- like po- post score without goalies, <laughs> right? Like. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, and you know what? This is something that happens a lot with EP, right? Like, he was one of the league leaders in hitting the post last season, too, right? The only Dreisaitl hit more uh, last year. If I And that's just from memory. I just want to be clear. I, I don't exactly remember, but I'm pretty sure only Dreisaitl hit more last season. Like, this is a thing that Elias Pettersson does. He hits the post a lot. And he hits the post a lot because he's so accurate, right? Like, he is truly the most accurate shooter in the NHL. And, you know, one of the downsides of that is that when he's being too fine, he hits the post a ton. Uh, You know, he is, he he is, uh, it's just unbelievable, right? Like he has, Nathan McKinnon has three and no one else is, you know, uh, Carter Verhage has three. So there's two guys at three and PD at five. And that's going to be true for his whole career. He's always going to hit posts more than everyone else because that shot's lethal. It beats goaltenders, but sometimes, you know, he's picking it just a little too fine. It's a millimeter off, and it doesn't go bar down, but instead, you know, goes bar down and out. Uh, and we saw him shoot one exactly like that uh, against the Senators this week. I liked, I liked the return of Motto Line Mojo. Right, I, I think we saw a lot of it, but I still don't think they're quite firing at you know, the capacity that we saw last season. And and again, they were doing it against the Senators. You know, they were doing it against, I think about that extended shift where he hit the post yesterday or hit the crossbar yesterday, where Miller changes and it's Godet winning the battle against Goodbranson. You know, slashes his stick out of his hand. Goodbranson, having lost three battles already on the shift, goes to the corner, wrists up to the sky to the refs, grabs the stick. During that time, Pedersen honestly has enough time to record a van cast. Before unleashing that shot at Matt Murray, um, you know, the, the, those types of sustained shifts, we just haven't seen still, like, we're still not seeing them with the same level of, like, withering, imperious assertiveness from the Lotto Line trio that we saw last year. Because, again, as I noted, that shift might have been an example, but Miller had changed. Uh, Godet was on for it. What did we say early in the week after Sutter had his hat trick and we recorded and, and we were trying to project when? 
uh, Elias Pettersson would pass Brandon Sutter in goals. I, I'm thinking that Petey may have listened, or somebody may have offered him up Saturday. A, a, a snippet. Yeah, we said in Winnipeg. No, <laughs> we, we got the Winnipeg part right. I think we may yeah. we may have overestimated the issue here. Uh, I think Petey was listening to the VanCast, or at least uh, word got back to him because he seems to like to take these things on as any kind of challenge. Hey, wherever the motivation comes from. Uh, the Canucks needed him back, and he and his mates arrived, and so that is certainly a good sign. And it's funny, you know, you look at this three-game set and the 16 goals, and Bo Horvat didn't score one of them. In fact, Bo Horvat got outscored or outproduced in this three-game series against Ottawa by Jay Beagle. So take that, Senators, and chew on that. Uh, it felt like the captain took things easy on, uh, maybe took pity on his opponents, which is good because... I, quite frankly, I was getting tired of people were sending me like steakhouse menus and stuff as Horvat was starting to score all these goals. <laughs> and I didn't appreciate it. And I don't have time for that. And so, quite frankly, I was glad that uh, the captain kind of well, slowed down his role just a little bit. You know who your best friend, though, is? Your best friend right now is NHL PKs who are like <laughs> hugging Bo Horvat. There's like a winger. There's a winger on every NHL PK the Canucks have faced for four games now who literally is just like embracing Bo Horvat like the Vancouver market in his rookie season. Um, it is truly remarkable. And that's going to be your best friend here. Like that, that there's no secret anymore uh, about what, you know, Horvat is doing from that bumper spot. Teams are cheating on it a ton. And there's two things that I'm going to need here, and it's none, not, and they're not from Bo Horvat. One is I need Brock Besser to keep being a monster at the net front. Um, this is a fascinating thing that I was sort of unpacking because we've got a stock watch piece up at the Army, uh, at the Athletic. Uh, I suggest everyone check it out. But the Brock Besser power play thing is phenomenal because he's moved off of that right circle. So he's lost 12 shot attempts per 60. Over that rookie season where, you know, the, the flow season. Right. Lost 12 shot attempts per 60 in terms of rate this season versus that. And yet he's only down a shot and a half. And by personal, like, expected goals, he's double. And the reason being that every shot Besser takes now is from, like, the Milan-Lucic spot. Forget the Ovi spot. He's in the Milan-Lucic spot. These are high percentage looks. Uh, you know, I hadn't factored this into my analysis, but if Besser can figure out like a collection of JVR style power moves, the likes that he scored on Matt Murray to open the scoring on Thursday night. Like for sure, he's going to see his percentage regress his shooting percentage regress this season. Something I expected anyway, but it's going to, it's going to um, regress further. Like it's going to be for sure a new high benchmark for him. If more of his shots are with the man advantage, six feet out from the net, like, this is a guy who's going to beat a lot of NHL goalies from that spot, especially if he can find creative ways, uh, you know, to bring the puck out front. Uh, tremendous. I I'm really impressed by Besser's work there. Obviously gave the Canucks a new wrinkle on the power play, and it'll be really fascinating to see how he can perform there as the quality of the opponent and the killers ratchets up here on this upcoming East Coast trip. Right, because one thing to do that against Josh Brown of the Ottawa Senators it's another, How dare you? A, a, How dare you besmirch my good, close, personal friend, Josh okay. Brown? But the, Please. the point remains... Uh, stick the stick to the goody slander. No, no. <laughs> it, it's another to have the stones to make that play when Shea Weber's waiting for you at net front, right? Yes, or, true. Or somebody Absolutely. else. And so... Uh, but, like, that was a really cool sequence of Brock Besser 
learning on the job at the NHL level to identify in that moment. Like, I, I, there was just a ton in there that I liked about Besser and that power play. Like, that's just another wrinkle, another option. And if you're going to keep, uh, you know, good power players are going to keep the penalty kill guessing. And if teams want to put Bo Horvat in a box, then they're going to pay. And and it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to pay with Elias Pettersson on the, on the other side. To have Brock Besser now sort of reading and reacting and responding and protecting the puck and all those types of like that was just a really cool sequence, I thought, and serve it up. We've already seen him score from the net front. He scored a backhand goal, I guess, uh, against Montreal was his earlier power play goal in the season. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is maybe, you know, like we all think of Brock Besser, the shooter. And so uh, I, I wasn't convinced that down low, we talked about, you know, that's where Toffoli, maybe they would miss Toffoli more, but... Uh, Brock Besser, we've already seen him find Horvat for the quick one-timer, and then last night to add that to his arsenal, uh, that's a big step forward. So I'm with you. That's something to monitor as this season unfolds. A good reminder that Brock Besser, really good at hockey. Yes. Right? Like, no, you're... And, you know, totally. he's he's so good. Like, he's just so smart. And, you know, maybe, maybe I should have even given him more credit. Like, Toffoli's been excellent. Or was excellent in that spot. He's been excellent for the Habs this season, right? Um, I I do have a Toffoli take. We talked about this a little bit, but I I do think that one thing that's worth noting with Toffoli is I've I've watched a lot of Habs games partly because I just like watch them and pat myself on the back for being so high on them all off season, right? Like everyone's like they don't have elite talent. I'm like they're the best. They're the second best team in Canada. Feeling really good about my overall handicapping of the North Division. But one thing I want to note about Toffoli, like Toffoli shot intelligence, playmaking ability. Like he's stringing quality passes all over the ice for the Habs. It's It's been tremendous. But I also see the foot speed. Like I also see, you know, and, and it's notable, like it's not as notable because he's on the ice with Kotkaniemi, but it's notable in certain areas, especially when he's killing penal- uh, penalties and attacking against the grain or, or just an open ice. Like that foot speed is not high end. Honestly, it's probably not even average in an, in a league that's getting faster and faster. Um, he's smart enough that it all works now, but if he loses a step or two over the life of his four-year deal, um, you know, there there's real risk there. And I think that's been evident in the early going this season, even as he's been crushing it and clearly would be a helpful piece for this Canucks team to have at the moment. Yeah, and crushing it shorthanded, which is interesting just because the Canucks didn't ever use him as a penalty killer. Like, that wasn't part of what they had in mind when they made the trade. Like it was all about offense and bolstering the top six. They didn't use Toffoli as a penalty killer. And he's got two shorthanded goals, both on sort of the clearest cut breakaways that I can remember. Like, I don't know what it is. I mean, the Canucks have given up way too many breakaways, but I've seen a bunch of goals around the league this year. Like the breakaway seems to be in vogue. Like, I don't know if that's an early season thing, if it's just breakdowns, whatever the case. But like last night, the breakaway goal for Toffoli like, there's not a Calgary Flame in the frame. Like, you know, like, I have no idea where they were. Uh, I haven't seen sort of, uh, like, how the play unfolded. I've only seen in isolation. But Toffoli is all alone. He almost mishandles the puck twice, still stuffs it past David Riddick. And there's still no Calgary Flame in the frame. And you think back to the breakaway goal that he scored shorthanded against the Canucks, where, you know, like, and we saw it too. Last night's game, it was uh, Connor Brown late in the second period, you know, picks that pass yeah. off just inside. Like, these breakaways aren't just you know, from the offensive blue line in. They're from, like, the defensive. Like, these guys are just, it's like doing the 100-meter dash with no one around. So, 
Uh, yeah. You know, you mentioned. Well, well, sorry, with the with the flames, the reason there was no flames around um, is that if you recruit half of the 2019 20 Canucks <laughs> during the offseason, you might improve your team overall, but you're also going to give away some breakaways, right? Like, clearly, you're going to give up some quality chances when you acquire the entire 1920 Canucks. Like, that's that's the price you pay. Um, and the Flames are clearly paying it. The Connor Brown chance, I mean, that was Holby's best save. It was a big save because it could have made it a 3-2 hockey game. And not that Ottawa looked all that interested. But, man, if they get to the room at 3-2, they're probably thinking, hey, we've boiled this thing down to 20 minutes. Let's just, like, see if we can't squeeze something out of the hockey game. And so for Holby to step up, make the save that he did, probably sealed the victory at that point. And Holby, oh, yeah. Holby was good. Like, Holby had to be good, though, because it was, you know, the Thatcher Demko. We talked about the arrival of the... The lotto line, that was one of the big stories, and the other had to be goaltending. And Demko stepped up and did his part and kind of threw down the gauntlet a little bit. And I, I think there was uh, an element of response. I always make the point, like, a goalie can't want to stop the puck any more than he already does, right? Like, yeah, Braden Holpe is a pro through and through. He's been at this a long time. You know, he wants to make every save. So I think if he sees what Thatcher Demko does and says, like, I have to match that, like, he knows that, but he just has to go out there and do his job. And he did that. And then the, the quick up was spectacular. Um, that's such a cool play to recognize that it's the long change and the sends are slow to, you know, complete their line change and, and yep. see that you've got the two guys on the wide side all alone. So there were two cool plays by Holpe, I thought, in that second period. One gets the assist and one probably... Uh, did the sends in for the night. Like, I don't think there was any coming back for Ottawa once uh, Braden Holpe stops Connor Brown on that breakaway. No, and and how about his from mice and men quote afterwards? <laughs> like, once you start worrying if you're going to play or not, you add a whole other bag of things on your back. It's like, <laughs> like a hobo? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, Holpe riding the rails. I don't know if that, uh, I think that would be a violation of the NHL's COVID <laughs> protocols to, to be jumping trains to Winnipeg. Um, but I love that quote. Like, that was just such a Philosopher King quote. Like, you know, I'm worried. I don't want Holpe to pet any cats or something lest he, lest he go Lenny on uh, <laughs> on the poor animal. Uh, that was just straight Grapes of Wrath shit. Here for it. Here for it, Braden Holpe. Thank you. That was great stuff. Boxcar Braden as he's uh, got the little, <laughs> little the red bandana on a stick as he's packing, yeah. a, packing his bag for a six-game road trip. <laughs> Yeah, like, like once you start worrying if you're going to start or not, you had another bag. <laughs> and I live on the road. I travel light. I'm a hobo holpy. <laughs> hey, so good. We, we, I loved it. Uh, one of the, we got to get into this, too. Uh, Post game last night, Gemma Carson Smith from Canadian Press asked Travis Green oh, a question. Oh, boy, do I have takes about this. Yeah, well, let's go ahead. <laughs> look, there There was a human element to Travis Green, but there was also a pretty dismissive element of Travis Green to just shoot her down with the question that I think lots of people have been asking, and I think lots of people have been waiting for that question to be asked to the coach. You know, why do you give up so many shots? Are you concerned about the number of shots? And, like, he just flat out, like, swatted her away, like Dikembe Mutombo swat uh, originally. And then I think had some self-awareness to realize, like, this is live, people are tuning in, and I just, like, punted on that question. And so he doubled back, and, you know, credit words do, because then he gave her a pretty yeah, good answer absolutely. about it. But it is. It's a question, like, 
you know, as much as we say it was he the said, senator. But he circled back. He took another question. Yes, that's what I'm saying. There was right? some he took another. He took another question yeah. and then circles back. So I, I've got I've got mad takes about this. The the so for those of you who aren't aware of this, who maybe didn't listen to Travis on this podcast or or what have you, like Green is not an asshole coach in terms of dealing with the media. But he does play one on TV occasionally, right? Like that—that that is sort of uh, on camera Travis Green versus off camera Travis Green from a media perspective, pretty different, right? And in the event that Green had dismissed my question like that, and probably your question like that, what? W- well, and let me phrase this as a question to you: Travis Green dismisses a question, a reasonable question from you, and you have one question left in the holster. What do you do? Uh, I probably push back and ask the same question again. Me too, uh, every time. But Gemma, Gemma instead leaves it, and and so smart by her, right? She's just like, okay, no, that's it for me, right? She pointedly does not ask a follow up. So all of a sudden, she's called Travis's bluff. Like, let's go into poker. She's called Travis's bluff. Travis is like, you know, uh, he's he's re raised. Right? He's re-raised. No, no problem with that. And and Gemma calls the bluff. She just calls. And so Travis answers another question. And then he circles back. He Instead of having the opportunity to double down, right? Like, he doesn't double down the way he would have if she'd asked him again. If she'd asked him and reframed the question and come back the way both you and I would. And this is this is perfect because it's it's like the perfect way to read the man by Gemma here. Because... Again, if you give him the opportunity to play that cat and mouse, like, you know, coach ducking the media role, he'll double down and do it without thinking. If you remind him that actually he's not that guy, then his humanity comes forth and he gives you the answer you need. I thought that was brilliantly played by Gemma Carson Smith. She called Travis's bluff. And now we know the tell. Now we know Travis's tell, which is which is maybe sometimes if we don't do our thing the way we do our thing. And instead cause Travis to remember that in fact he is a human being and actually a pretty decent guy. Um we'll we'll get some we'll get I don't think it's gonna work for the lineup questions though, no. JFAT. So I mean limited application, but I have takes about how that played out. I loved it. I loved it from Gemma's side. Um, you know, I thought it was amusing from Green's side and uh and good fun. Like I thought that was a really illuminating exchange ultimately, um, you know, of of sort of the tension i suppose between media green and and green the guy um and and it was this moment where Gemma sort of forced them into conflict ending up getting her answer i i, I was fascinated like i was fascinated to watch it play out in real time and afterwards i, I just sort of w- went over and i was just like that was amazing <laughs> well played <laughs> i was so excited looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I don't know if Travis Green's thinking about putting a ring on Jake Furtanen's finger, but uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm 
not sure where this one. Wow. Wow. What a transition. My goodness. I don't know where. My goodness. I don't know where this is headed. Uh, honestly, to hear the coach say that Jake, Jake needs a reset nine games into the season. Uh, this is a guy that watched Zach McEwen pass him by in the summer camp. This is a guy that watched uh, Nils Hoaglander come and win a job out of this training camp. Uh, we've watched Tyler Mott here on this homestand just doing Tyler Mott things and, you know, it's working for him. Like, how many chances, how many times do we have to ask the same question? Like, is the light bulb ever going to go on for JV18? I mean, no. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, fifth, last 50 games, right? Yeah. Like, the last 50 games, um, you know, 13 points. Four, four even strength goals. Um, nothing doing in terms of the two-way contributions. Uh, he's looked good on the power play on occasion, right? But I mean, if you're if you're an offense only depth piece, like, and there's no bottom line, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know what else to say. Like, I was a little bit surprised that he was scratched. I, I do think this team needs his speed, but I think that's more an indictment on just overall co- roster construction than it is a tribute to the value that Vertanen brings with his speed. Um, You know, this team is frankly, probably harder working and more polished defensively when he's not among the 12 forwards that dress, especially with how McEwen's performed this season, right? He's performed really well. Roussel's raised his game in my view. He's been more active, especially over the last four or five. Uh, I think Godet, you know, I, I, I think Godet's a pretty good player. So, you know, it, it's it's tough. You got to contribute. You got to do a variety of things and take advantage of what opportunities you get. Uh, Jake's had a ton of them. Jake's had seven years worth of great opportunities in this market. Um, you know, he is what he is at this point, and and what he is is not a player that you're going to, you know, really sort of be surprised or criticize the org when they scratch him. Um, I think that kind of kind of says it all, right? Like it's just. It's just a depth guy who's scratched, and I know fans are disappointed, but it is what it is. And you know, I saw Bruff sort of making hay about the fact that Vertanen's contract might not be movable, um, and there's some truth to that, especially with how heavily backloaded it is. Uh, you know, one one assist at this point played a ton with the top line. I know the top line wasn't at their best, but I mean, it's not good. Like it's not it's not been good, JPEG, and it's not been good for. You know, since the All-Star break 2020. You're giving him credit for an assist that he doesn't have. He has a goal. The, 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 only, point oh, that he, sorry. the only point he got is the, that pinball goal that deflected Ian off a couple of Calgary Flames and Ian. Sorry. So, so Braden Holpe has more assists than him this season. So does Brogan Rafferty. Yes. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's kind of, that's where we are uh, with old JV18. And you pointed it out uh, in the armies. Others did as well. Uh, you don't have to go deep here, but when you look at the three guys that were listed as healthy scratches last night, that's not a great look, obviously, for the organization to have Louis Erickson, Jake Furtan, and Ole Ulevi uh, parked when, you know, they just, there's no room for them in this lineup, but that's where, that's where we are, so. That's tough. That's, that is tough, right? Like, it's just hard to stomach. Yeah. And, but, you know, here we are, and we'll see. Like, I, I think the Canucks are going to. You know, we're, we're seeing Travis make changes to winning lineups. Like, we're seeing the Canucks approach things a little bit differently across the board. And, you know, Vertanen might get back in, and we all know that he has 
the shot to contribute, um, some instincts offensively to, to be a game breaker on occasion. Um, you know, I won't be surprised if we see that again. Like, I'm not saying it's over in terms of that, you know, being evident and him providing this team with value. But, you know, the fact is, is the, the guy who at the All-Star break last year was on pace for 45 points. Like, that was a mirage. That was a percentage-driven, IPP-driven mirage. And since then, we've kind of seen the other side of that coin, which is, you know, a 21-point bottom six guy whose offensive impact is, you know, his bread and butter. And I mean, that's hard to play in this league, right? Like that's, that's just, it's not been enough bottom line there, frankly. Right. And I just want some self-awareness. And I come back to the fact when guys around you are buzzing, whether it's Hoaglander or Mott, like try that. Just like, you know, what you've done through the nine games you've played hasn't really worked for you to the point that the coach takes you out of the lineup. Like just, you know, use your assets. Like, let's see. I just want to see a guy that recognizes the situation and the world around him. And that's kind of been a knock on Jake throughout his career. So maybe I'm asking for too much at this point. But I do come back to this, like, you know, what you're doing. How's that working for you? Uh, obviously not well enough to keep your spot in the lineup. So try something a little bit different. Because Hoaglander's been a revelation. And and the points that he has at this stage as a rookie are great. But there's just there have been moments in every single game, Tom, where... Like, you just want to see more, right? Like, he just, talk about chicken soup. Like, I'll have another bowl of Hoaglander, please. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Well, I I mean, his, his, his results, like, his independent results, the way that he is driving offense for this team, um, you know, Bo Horvat, like, Bo Horvat basically has picked up, like, like Mario picking up one of those fire flowers. You know, he's just throwing fireballs offensively. (laughs) And... While a lot of that story is Bo Horvat finding another gear, a lot of that story is the Canucks using Pedersen in tougher minutes, right? Uh, a big part of that story is what Hoaglander's brought to that line. Like, the way that Hoaglander is helping Horvat, Pearson just generate looks like we've never seen that line generate before. Like, that can't be understated, right? Hoaglander, 10 games into his NHL career, is driving quality looks and offense at an insane rate, like a mind-bending rate in terms of his independent contributions on that line. It's phenomenal. But how's he doing it? Like, he's doing it along the wall. He's doing it by maintaining possession, right? He's doing it by keeping plays alive, uh, just driving inside on guys. Those are aspects of the game that, you know, have never been... Vertanen's forte, right? Like, Vertanen's a perimeter scorer. He's got an excellent shot from outside. Uh, he's leaned on it, right? Um, you know, it's just it's just the the comparison couldn't be more apt just because you, it immediately makes sense to you, right? Um, yeah, no, I mean, Hoaglander, holy cow. He's been unbelievable. He's been really unbelievable. And, you know, it, that, that line, what he's brought to that line, how he's stabilized that line, just phenomenal and the underlying numbers reflect it right the underlying numbers reflect Hoagland, how good Hoaglander's been and they also reflect the fact that with you know Vertanen on the ice there's just been very little doing for the Canucks you know especially in terms of controlling quality looks at both ends of the rink right like the lotto line is the are the worst forwards for the Canucks to this point in the season uh based on their expected goal differential but the next guy up is Jake, right? And the next guy up after that is Godet. And so, 
you know, <laughs> that that tells you a lot. Like, those are the two guys that have come out of the lineup, and then you've got the lotto line that's sort of slowly cranking into gear, but who the Canucks really need because of what they do on the power play and everything else. Like, you know, you, you need to be you need to be better because McEwen, Roussel, Hoaglander are, like, Hoaglander's the best on the Canucks by this metric. Horvat's second. You know, like, that's what they need from 12 guys. They need to find 12 forwards who are doing that right now. And right now they have, you know, a lot of them in the bottom six. Like Sutter, Beagle, Mott are controlling play really effectively to this point. The lotto line isn't, but they will. Like, we know they will. At some point, they're going to click into gear. Um, you got to be part of that solution, I think, if you're going to be the 12th forward in the lineup. And, and to this point, like, both Godet and Vertanen haven't been. I think that tells you a lot about what the Canucks are looking at and valuing, especially from their bottom six forwards. And in a world where McEwen, Roussel... Uh, Beagle, Sutter, Mott are doing it like that's exactly what, you know, these these guys who want to play bottom six minutes, who want to be that sixth bottom six forward, like that's what they're going to need to do. They're going to need to help the team contribute at both ends, just control play. And when you look at Hoaglander and you look at the battles he wins and the effort level and the work rate, like that's how it's done. Um, whoever's matching that best, my guess is they're going to be that sixth forward. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, I, I just, you know, we saw him right from day one of training camp and, and all the signs were like, this guy's in this thing. Like, he he's here. Uh, he got put in a great spot on the wing with yep. Horvat and Pearson. And, but others have had that opportunity. I mean, look, we've talked to that to death, the number of guys that have rolled through Boa's right wing and haven't done anything with it. And so for him to just to carry on from a, an impressive training camp, again, 20 years old, he's only been in this country for a month now like adapting uh to outside circumstances you know the league itself during a pandemic like it's just been really really impressive and a ton of fun so uh you you have to be excited about hoaglander and sort of where it's going from here looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, let me ask you this one, because we talked this uh, topic about Pedersen at times last year, but are we already at a point where the market is taking Quinn Hughes for granted? Like, we're half an hour into a podcast here, mm. and let me just read the list of players that are ahead of Quinn Hughes in NHL scoring, not just defensemen, because he leads all NHL defensemen uh, in scoring. This is the short list of guys that are ahead of, of Quinn Hughes in scoring in the league right now. Connor McDavid. Leon Dreisaitl, Mitch Marner, Andre Kopitar. That's the list. That's it. End of list. Yeah. End of list. Yeah. Yeah. Andre Kopitar is playing amazingly. Um, yeah. I mean, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. No shit. Like, 
like we know that he's just got this uncanny ability now to rack up points. Points just follow him around. I, I sort of always say points just drip off Queen Hughes, and they do. Uh, we haven't recorded since the Canucks beat the Sens seven to one. I think my favorite play of Quinn Hughes so far this season, he made a nice play on the goal that he scored the other night um, to start to play in the neutral zone and then to draw defenders to him. And, you know, he got the bounce off the post and put it back in. But the 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 lotto line goal that sort of announced their arrival, the JT Miller goal, his first of the two in the middle game of the set, Pedersen looks like he's in a great position to shoot, passes up the shot, drops it to Hughes, and for Quinn Hughes, he takes the pass on the backhand, Tom. Backhand to forehand, mm-hmm. and then absolutely threads the needle. Like, I've watched that replay a bunch of times. It's like, it's, yeah, it's the Senators, and it's a three-on-two, big deal. Like, it is the perfect pass off the rush onto the stick of JT Miller. Like, the guy's skill is off the charts. We know that, but there are just there are certain moments where I'm still reminded he's 21. He's just learning on the job here. Like, he's only getting better and already is just racking up points again. Like, do we put him... Maybe it's too soon to even ask the question, but, like, is he in the Norris conversation right now? Is he the front runner? And I've had people ask me, and they want us to discuss, too, can he be a Norris Trophy candidate if he doesn't kill penalties? Like, does do you hold that against a defenseman if he only plays certain parts of the game. Like, is his game well-rounded enough? Will that cost him votes in Norris Trophy voting throughout his career if he's sort of that one-dimensional as an offensive guy only? I think it will. Yeah, I think it will. Um, you know, it, it took, like, Eric Carlson a little longer to win a Norris than, than he probably should have, and, and only won one when he started playing second PK for, for the Senators. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think the PK does matter. I think being out there for the PK does matter, uh, for sure. I, I have no questions about that. Like, I think a hundred percent, the PK matters in terms of what voters look at. Um, is Pedersen a Norris nominee for me? Not yet. Like for me, honestly, because the because the two way game at the moment. And in particular, the amount of expected goals against that opponents are generating with Hughes on the ice to this point. Something we saw a little bit of last season, but like Hughes' defensive impact last season to me was more impressive than the way that he's picking up points now, frankly, right? And, you know, a a lot of that is not on him. Like a lot of that is on the fact that the lotto line hasn't been going, right? And that's sort of created a situation where we have to take all these numbers uh, and and sort of look at them with a bit of a grain of salt because, you know, like (laughs) Hughes is spending more than 50% of Pedersen's ice time on the ice with Pedersen. And if the Pedersen line is misfiring to the extent that they have, at least through the first eight games before kind of finding their stride against the Senators, then that makes everything look a little different, right? Look a little bit askew, like a funhouse mirror. And that sort of happened to Hughes's underlying results, but as a result, you know, Hughes has not been like one of the most valuable defenders in hockey overall, even though his offensive contributions have been absolutely through the roof. So for me anyway, based on his first 10 games, not at the top of my like list of Norris uh, sort of candidates that I'll be that I can be considering 10 games in. But, um, you know, I think that 
should that two-way game grind a little bit back into gear. And it's it's not, again, just a huge problem. It's a, it's a team-level problem. But nonetheless, I think teams are generating a fair bit uh, against the Canucks when Hughes is on the ice right now. Uh, a product, too, of him playing really tough minutes. Um, you know, so long as that's the case, uh, that's that's the bigger thing that's going to impact his Norris candidacy as opposed to, um, you know, the, the lack of PK time. Like, the lack of PK time won't matter if Hughes' five-on-five results defensively look, you know, league average and his scoring rates are through the roof, you know, <laughs> at the top of the league overall. I think that'll that should be enough to put him seriously into the conversation. Uh, right now, though, I think the the key is is that your your defensive impact five on five needs to be really really good, or or at least at least neutral enough. Um, you know, that's that's the factor that I'm going to be watching. Um, that's the factor that if that sort of clicks, if that gets into gear here, then I do think he'll have a real shot, especially if he's among the lead leaguers, little lead, oh, lead leaguers, <laughs> league leaders in scoring. Uh, uh- I love the dude's confidence, though. Like at the podium post game, he was asked a question, and like he took the answer, and like he's like, you know, I don't know, people think it was like a slow start for me, and like he just like shot it down, like you know, just wanted none of that. Even though you know the numbers that you point out, and and look, he's been on the ice for too many goals against in the early going. That has been an issue, but I just love the confidence that he's like. Screw that. Like, forget it. That's, uh, I don't care. Like, you know, my game is fine. Like, don't worry about me. I'm going to be okay. And I think uh, it's pretty evident that he is going to be okay. I, I do wonder. Yeah, better than okay. He's yeah. going to be Quinn Hughes. No, right. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's fun to watch, man. Like, at the end of the day, it's just a lot of fun to watch. Uh, it was fun to watch you this week. Uh, what's next week hold for you? Are you going to uh, pick more fights? Or are you uh, going to take, <laughs> take it down a notch next week? Oh, and by the way... Uh, stories out of school too. Like you were so scattered this week. You show up at the rink the one night and you're like, "Hey, Jay Pat, can you buy me dinner? Because I didn't bring." <laughs> <laughs> I know I was bad. I was bad. Well, the funny part about it too is, and and, you, and you'll vouch for me on this. Like I bring my own dinner yes, a lot, yes, right? You do. And and when I bring my own dinner, like I'm not moj with a four course meal and like a white handkerchief table setting. <laughs> Um, but like, I'm not far away, right? Like I like show up and I'm like, oh yes, I've got my crispy tofu stir fry or like whatever, right? Like, you know, my wife cooks well, I like to cook, like I prep food in advance for the week. I'm usually ready. And so I forget my, my packed dinner because my dog is honestly what happened is I opened the front door and my dog ran out the door. Uh You know what I'm saying? So I had to like round him up. I put him back. I come back in and I put down my dinner and then I forget it. I don't bring it back out with me. Um, In addition to that, though, compounding that issue is I'd also forgotten my wallet. So now I'm there. I haven't eaten in eight hours and I've forgotten both my wallet and my dinner. So I sheepishly walk up to my good pal, J-Pat, and I'm just like, hey, bud, uh, (laughs) thank you for obliging and buying me a uh, triple O, though. I much appreciate it. Yeah, you had that look and I thought, oh, damn, like. Here comes the gum request. And it was, no, 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 no. <laughs> Full dinner. Yeah. Luckily, it wasn't steak. <laughs> well, I, I kind of feel like I'm off the hook now that uh, if you end up winning this whole bet, I say I bought you a hamburger back uh, in early January. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do intend to get you back. Um, but the, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, look, I was a little scattered this week. It happens. Like sure it I'm, does. Uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, in uninterrupted sleeps, uh, really high density of games. Uh, you know, it's been a it's been a grind. It's been fun. Like it's great to have hockey back, but but yeah, it's been a grind. It's it's been interesting. It's been an interesting week, and obviously, obviously, fighting battles on Twitter and on and on too. I feel like I've been in a fight every day, and um, you know that also happens to me when I'm tired. But also, but also, it happens to me when the season's going on and when there's stuff to unpack and when things are exciting. And you know that's the fun of this. Like it's fun for Canucks fans to debate and engage, and you know, you know. Whip out their jujitsu, like whip out your best arguments. Talk about your, you know, view of Jake or Hoaglander. Like, you know, you think about a guy like Tambirana, right? I, I listened briefly into the uh, 650 um, post game show, uh, you know, just just on my way home. Like, how dare, a, how dare you? <laughs> there was a 1040 break, so I, <laughs> I tuned into 650, and and Tambir calls in. To talk about Vertanen's defensive game. This was the game before Vertanen got scratched uh, and needed a reset. And, you know, like, credit where it's due, right? Like, Tanbeer has this, like, all-in theory, right, about the Canucks. And it's consistent. And, I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, it's wrong. But it's consistent. It's a consistent through line. He expresses it well, uh, as he always has, right? <laughs> whether, whether he's asking questions of Lyndon or calling into radio. And I loved it. Like, I, you know, I disagreed with every word, um, but I love that he's got his own unique view of things and that he expresses it in this sort of colorful, very Vancouver fan way. Um, that's great. Like, we need as many fun competing narratives as possible. And, and I like narratives, too, that come in and grapple with reality, right? Like, that's why that's why I wrote the negativity manifesto in the armies yesterday, right? Is that if you're coming at things being like, we need to be more positive about the franchise with the worst winning percentage in league history, based on 31 teams in their current market, the Canucks have been the least successful franchise. Like, whenever anyone tells us we're being too negative, J-Pat, like, we're not. We're not constantly reminding people that the Canucks are among the least successful franchises in North American pro sports. Like, that's a true fact about this team, and it's, it's worth keeping in mind. But, you know, the idea that we should approach things from a positive perspective or a positive slant a priori, like, as an underlying assumption, we should be positive about this team. It's like, no, we should grapple with the facts on the ground. Like, this was a relatively positive podcast, I thought, all around. There were there were some critical moments, but... You know, that's because the Canucks won three in a row. We've got some positive performances to unpack. They just outscored, yeah, a bad team, but they just outscored a team 16-3. to Like, that still matters. It's still good. It's still the NHL. You know, so we can adjust. We'll tell the stories as they're presented to us. We're not going to tell them with a negative slant a priori or a, a positive slant. We're going to grapple with the reality in front of us. That's what we do, but... You know, I have time for I have time for narratives. I have time for competing narratives. I have time for you know Skip Bayless style, you know, graft a narrative onto a set of facts. But what I don't have time for really is the you know notion, this chronic notion that seeped in that Canucks fans, Canucks media, we're, it's it's all too negative. Like it's all it's all too negative and too much. It should be for fuck's sake. It should be. Tom, I've made a career of being told. 
you are so negative. You're the worst. Uh, and then I, we just come through 45 minutes of a podcast where we've talked about Patterson's arrival and all the incredible things that he's done. Quinn Hughes, uh, Holglander. Uh, we talked about the goaltending this week. You know, Tyler Mott's been an amazing yeah. story for the Vancouver Canucks. Like, I get so tired. Like, I see myself as a, a harsh realist. I just, I do. And when you point out uh, where this franchise has been, and, and I think back to, you know, before they made the playoffs last year, again, like, if it had been a 16-team playoff, they weren't guaranteed to get in. But the thing the Canucks did well was take advantage of being included in an expanded playoff tournament, and then from there, you know, they, they made some hay and good on them. But there was no guarantee they were going to be a playoff team. That easily could have been five straight years without playoff hockey. And somehow that, you know, uh, within that framework, individually, there have been some great stories. Don't get me wrong. And I think this market plays up the good stories. Like uh, This idea that it's yeah. all negative, I, I complete bullshit on my account. Like, I just, I, I, I hate when I hear it. it's so negative when I think of, the individual performances and look, you have three straight years where you've got a rookie of the year finalist. Like, no, absolutely. There are lots of really good stories, but overall it hadn't been good enough. And no, we've got, you know, column inches to fill. We've got podcasts to fill. Uh, you're damn right. We're going to tell it the way we see it. And so at two and five, there were some real issues, like some real issues. And it had the potential to get really ugly. I don't know if, I ever bought in that, you know, this series against the Sands was going to be, you know, organizational defining or era defining. But they think if they lost two of three to Ottawa, you just think of like sort of the compounding effects of where they were at the start of this week. So look, they did what they had to do. They can exhale. That's kind of how I look at these past three games. They did what they had to do. But you know what? The Sands aren't going to win many games. Other teams are going to feast at the trough of the Ottawa Senators. So essentially all the Canucks did with these three wins, was hold serve, right? Like, in the big picture, other teams are going to get these points off Ottawa as well. So the Canucks needed them for their own sort of sanity and well-being, but they also need them because everybody else is going to get them. And we'll see what they do. Good tests ahead now, starting in Winnipeg and then on to Montreal and Toronto. Uh, I I just want to finish off with this, because maybe my favorite moment of the three-game set against the Sens was last night when Ottawa was working... Five on three, they had the five on three that just looked dreadful, right? I don't know if their hearts were in it at that yeah. stage uh, of the game and the series, but the puck comes back to Josh Norris at the point and he fumbles it. And it's a pretty animated fumble. Mm-hmm. Like he just, he couldn't corral the puck and it slides outside the line, the line that is attached to the Canuck bench. So all the guys on the Canuck bench have a great view of it. And they were just like a pack of hyenas in that moment. The Canucks, like the the cackling and the howls, like they were all over Josh Norris in that moment. Like, <laughs> and I, again, like I'm not here to like you know show a ton of sympathy for these guys at the NHL level, but I did feel bad for Josh Norris just the way they had had their asses kicked, and you know it just kind of summed up where the Senators are. But I thought, man, like you know there was some heavy. Heavy chirping coming from the Canucks bench just because this guy couldn't corral a puck uh, at the blue line five on three. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> with a name like Norris. Um, <laughs> oh, man. No, they, look, yeah, the Senators, it's going to be a long season for them. Yeah. They're going to learn some things. <laughs> it's going to be hard to watch. Like, it is what it is, you know. And, and 
I do think putting up margins against them is going to matter. Let, let, let's leave it at that. Like, not every team is going to sweep the Senators, oh, right? They yeah. are going to win on, on some nights. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked, honestly. Like, the fourth playoff spot in the Canadian division might be decided because one team goes 100% against the Senators or, or 80% against the Senators, and one team splits their games with them, right? Like... And and you mentioned this last night, and I think it's dead on. Like the pressure's now on Edmonton with the Senators rolling Damn in there right. for a two game set. Yeah. Like those are going to be games. Like the pressure is going to be on, and and that's another thing about the Senators. They are a they are a hand grenade that's being like passed hot potato <laughs> style by the six Canadian six other Canadian teams this season because every team that loses to the Senators or every team that's in crisis and then facing the Senators like is going to have that extra second guessing up on them, right? Like, oh, if they don't beat the Senators, this market's going to go nuts. Or they lost to the Senators, like, this market is going nuts. That is the real sort of danger that they pose from a perception angle, especially with how just intense and high pressure these all-Canadian games are. I'm here for it. It's going to be a long year, even though it's truncated. Let's go. Oh, damn right. You know the Canuck fans will have the drafts ready to go if uh, the Sens go into Edmonton. And dunk on the Oilers, so let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's see where it goes. Hey, if you're looking for other oh, buddy. looking for other pot options here at the Athletic, check out uh, former Golden Knight Derek England, who has now moved into the front office in Vegas, hopefully avoiding COVID, unlike some of his mates there. Uh, but he joins uh, Craig Custance on the full sixty this week at the Athletic, so you can check that out as well. Check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the Vancast on Apple, and if you're not already a subscriber. Go to theathletic.com slash vancast, receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. All right, uh, I have this vision now of Braden Holpe with the stick and the little handkerchief over his shoulder. Uh, he is off to Winnipeg along with the, ra- the rest of the Canucks. we got to run as well. we got to train to catch Drancer. Uh, good stuff as always. We'll see what the weekend brings for the Vancouver Canucks, and we will be back with another edition of the VanCast early next week. So for Drancer, it's J-Pat. As always, thanks for listening to the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.